you, beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christina Ockles. Happy October to you. I have to say, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. Nice start to fall, I know. But we finally had a few moments of a break in the weather around here, so it's feeling a little bit like fall. We always tell the kids we are not allowed to go get pumpkins, though, if it's muggy and hot. It's still just been just muggy and hot enough that we have not gotten the pumpkins yet. It's just against the rules. So we're hoping we finally come upon our pumpkin moment here pretty soon. But now that our house has been painted, including the porch floor, which was in dire need of painting, if you've seen any of my old pictures, I finally got some furniture out there and we've been enjoying it like all day long. I love to sit out there in the rocking chairs in the morning and have my coffee. And then I got this cute little outdoor Ikea table and chair set delivered. Seriously, I think The entire purchase for the table and chairs was like $150. I'm not sure how long they're going to last, but we've been eating dinner out there on the front porch, and I've loved it. By the way, just for fun, I started an at Keepers Branch Instagram. That's Keepers Branch as in like Jesus is the vine and we're the branch. Someone on my Instagram said, I thought you were saying Keepers Ranch all this time, like a ranch where there's cows and horses, which that's super cute too, I told her. But it's Keepers Branch, at Keepers Branch. You'll have to check that out on my Instagram. It's just for fun. But since we're doing this whole thing on home, I thought it might be fun to kind of share some of my home with you guys. So I might put that out outdoor table on there too as well. Anyway, when we eat outside, I love it because Annie Rose takes it upon herself. She's our youngest again. Um, She takes it upon herself to set the table. She lights the candles out there. She takes our drink orders even. She gets it all set up for us. And then all we have to do is take our plates out there. So we all had to actually put sweatshirts and thick socks on the other night because there was an actual chill in the air. We lingered a while as we got to talking about a special thing that Noah's watching for one of his school projects, and we homeschool, so I let them do DVDs. Those count as at least one type of research. They still have to read too, but it's fun when they get to kind of watch something that we think has a lot of meaning to it. But Noah's been reading Love Does by Bob Goff, so that's fun for his book report. And for his American government report, it's on John Adams, so we're letting him watch this eight our series called John Adams that Nathan loves that was released several years ago. And we were asking Noah about it at the table for you know the G-rated version because it's a bit of a heavy documentary about how our country was founded. And you know, Annie's at the table, so we're kind of, you know, talking about this. Noah's talking about someone being tarred and feathered. Thankfully, Annie didn't really understand that, but it certainly spurred a great conversation about how our country was founded and the Revolutionary War. And about then, we were snapped back into current time as our neighbor Bob drove by and gave us our signature honk from his car. I'll explain. There are (laughs) two other houses up on this ridge with us, and Bob is one of them. I can't remember, actually, if I've told you about Bob before, but Bob was in a famous band that I don't feel the liberty to mention, actually. (laughs) He moved here from L.A. several years ago to kind of disappear, and he takes good care of everybody up here on the ridge. In fact, he even gives us gifts. Like, he's given us a lot of gifts. One time we came home, and there was this oddly wrapped package on our porch. And Annie walks up, and she goes, kind of cocked her head sideways and said, Thor's hammer? And he had wrapped it, but it was definitely perfectly in the shape of Thor's hammer. We opened it, and sure enough, 
It was a movie memorabilia special Thor's hammer that opens up, and it's a household toolkit. <laughs> it's complete with a hammer, a measuring tape, screwdriver, everything that a toolkit should come with. It's in there. We actually use it all the time, and this was one of Bob's many gifts. In fact, a few weeks ago, he drove up in the driveway, and he brought us a brand new wooden street number sign that goes on our tree out front that tells people this is you know our house number with a little light on it, so when people drive up, it lights up the number on the tree. He'd had it specially made for us, for our family, and for the family that lives right next to us, so that when, you know, the delivery guys come up, they know which house is which up here. So Bob is very kind. He's a bit eccentric, I will say. When he bought his Tesla, yes, he has a Tesla. (laughs) He brought it down to show the kids how it works. And when he drives by, like he did the other night, we have our own honk that comes from his car. He texted us one time and he said, I made a special honk on my car and designated it just for your family, so be listening for it. So when he comes by and honks, it's sort of several sounds strung together. The first one sounds just like a little bell on a bike, and then there's several other that follow, like just some beeps and whistles. And as you can imagine, it just keeps things interesting up here at Keeper's Branch. (laughs) After dinner, Annie, who loves to squeeze every drop from the day, said, Daddy, can we please make a fire? And we were like, let's hold off just a little bit longer, babe. If you didn't catch our Christmas tour dates reveal, you'll have to check it out on my Instagram. There's a beautiful photo of the whole band and our family that my friend Michelle took for us. That photo shoot came together in only a couple of days. My manager and I had this meeting the last week of August and feeling like we had kind of come to the table a little late on some things. We began to just discuss the podcast and Christmas. And yes, we kind of fly by the seat of our pants with this podcast, or maybe it's just that we trust that we'll all come together when it's supposed to. And that day, based on just the longing in my own heart for home during the fall, we decided the fall podcast and the Christmas tour would all be based around home and family. You live and learn. And last Christmas tour, I went into it already a bit kind of worn down. And I learned from that this year. I want to be present in the places that matter. And so I'm already finding ways that I can do that ahead of time. And then to bring that sense of home and being present out on our tour dates as well. For the first four, we are so excited. We're going to be in St. Louis, St. Paul, Milwaukee, and Chicago with the lovely Anne Boskamp. We are so excited to get to join with Anne. I love how she comes around this season. And of course, the Savior, it's going to be beautiful. And the rest of the tour dates is going to be our family. And we're going to introduce my best friend and new artist and worship leader, Molly Moody. And you're going to love getting to hear from her. You can find all of the tour dates for A Night of Hope, A Family Christmas on my website, christinockles.com. And tickets are actually on sale now. Well, last episode, you heard me talk about what it looks like for us to grow young. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to hang on to that one, like for a long time. I want to always be growing young in every part of my life. I mean, I think beautifully it's what happens anyway, if you think about it. Children eventually grow up to one day be the caregivers of their parents who are getting closer and closer to their earthly bodies giving out. We grow young mentally, physically. We begin to need others to come around us again and assist us. I know my sweet granny grew young. When she was in her early 80s, she broke her leg 
doing the boot scoot and boogie. So she was definitely growing young (laughs) in that way. She and my granddad both refused to stop having fun and square dancing when it was clear to all of us that maybe their square dancing days needed to be over. But then fast forward about 12 years or so in her 90s, my granny actually fell outside of her home in the middle of the night because she woke up confused about where she was and why she wasn't in her childhood home with her mama and daddy. And when they found her, she explained that she needed to go home because her mom and dad wouldn't know where she was. We grow young, heart and soul, back to the home where we belong. Spiritually, this stands true. There's an invitation to come under the yoke of Jesus today, to do things His way, to grow young towards the heart of God, being a child in His presence every day, trusting Him like a child would. My sweet friend Rebecca came over the other day after the morning carpool drop-off, and we had some coffee together, and she was telling me how she loves to go on a walk when she listens to my podcast. And I told her, that's funny, because I always imagine all of you being on a walk when you're listening, somewhere really pretty in the woods. Even if that's not true for you today, I know I wish it was true for me, but just know that's how I picture you. But it's also how I hope it's received today. Even if you're sitting in traffic on your way to or from the office, or maybe you're doing the late night feeding, go on a walk with me anyway, and let's set our hearts around the cure of home. Take some deep breaths, still your mind, and just receive Jesus's peace over you even if that means turning this podcast off for a minute. The point is to walk in rest today. Well, last episode, I shared from my coffee table book, The Home Within Us, where we were reminded that the world outside us issues an invitation to question our reality. I'd add to that to question what's true of us. And ultimately, those questions force us home. And as we answer those questions of our heart, we can begin to take our sense of home with us into the world around us. I love that. Isn't it beautiful to think that by being made in the image of God, we were actually made with a longing for community and a sense of family. Even represented in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, there's this beautiful representation of perfect communion. There's this we instead of just me. And so imprinted on us is this very longing and sort of this bar that's set at this place of, I'm not in this alone. There's a place I stem from, a place I come from. There's no place like home. Home and togetherness, it's an ideal to us and for us because the need and desire for it was set within us. To be in God's house, yes, but to also be there in it together. And then how beautiful also that the Word of God says we are together being built into a house, Ephesians 2.22. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Today, I'd love for us to dig a little bit deeper into the home God is for us. Our friend J.D. Walt, who started a movement and publishing house called Seedbed, invited Nathan and I to be surprise worship leaders at his conference called New Room this past month. J.D.'s been a friend of ours for almost 20 years now. And for years, J.D.'s always been that pastor in the green room for many of the early Passion Conference events that Nathan and I were a part of through the years. He'd be the one backstage helping all of us worship leaders prepare our hearts to go out and 
and lead God's people, often we would partake in the Lord's Supper together. And J.D. was the one there breaking the bread and holding the cup as we would partake. He would say, Christy, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is His blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. J.D. was also one that would pull out the most random song in the moment, (laughs) usually one that was an old hymn or something that was just alarmingly old in the moment, but amazing. It fell at just such a sweet time, and I'd often find myself weeping as I would walk on the stage because he had just kind of taken me back to this sweet place. J.D. and his friends and his colleagues began a movement back in 2012 that exists to encourage pastors and leaders to sow into get this, a great awakening. What a beautiful reason for a movement to exist, to pray for a great awakening. And they do that by resourcing leaders and pastors with books and studies that come around what it looks like to learn how to pray for a great awakening. And they do many other things as well. One of my favorite books to come out of that movement, in fact, is called The Intercessory Life by Maxie Dunham, who I've quoted before on this podcast. But as Nathan and I and the kids rolled up to Brentwood Baptist the other night here in town, I know I wasn't ready for what we were getting ready to step into. First of all, I think because it was a night that we were leading near our home, we were only like 20 minutes from our house, and I wasn't in my normal checklist mode of travel, so I forgot my ear monitors that I wear, which we call in-ears, and it enables me to hear the instrumentation or the band directly, and then you're able to cut out the ambient noise that can come with like a gigantic sanctuary where your vocal kind of bounces around the room and off the back wall, and it can kind of be disorienting. So I forgot my in-ears, and like I said, thankfully, it was just... Nathan on the piano and our son Noah on the acoustic guitar and Nate and I singing. So it was not a huge band to try to hear over. And I was hearing the room for the first time in a while. Well, little did I know that it was going to be standing room only in that ginormous sanctuary that night. I'd say around 3,000 people were there. And all I can say is how glad I am that I forgot my in-ears. I don't know if I can describe to you the sound of their singing, I haven't heard a room full of people really sing like that in a really long time. And the sheer volume was outstanding for one thing, but the posture of the people in that room, it was so evident that every person truly believed in the presence of God and that He was really in our midst. And we were there to worship Him together. And not only that, it was this collective sense of like, this is what we were made for and we've come here to do this together. It was like heaven came down, like someone just opened the roof and lowered the heart of God down on everyone. I'll never forget it. And I needed it so much. It brought me to tears. People came and just knelt at the altar during worship. And even between songs, I just kind of let there be some space. And you could hear many people just speaking out prayers to God and just worshiping Him with their whole hearts, even when the music would fade. Speaking of that, we sang Heart of Worship together, which is a song by my friend Matt Redman that I love so much. Just felt like something we needed to sing as a family that night, sort of the sense that there's a lot of noise out there and that all of us just had this longing to tell Jesus that He's the treasure and that we'd bring Him more than just a song that night, that we were going to also come and lay our lives on the altar and say that you have my song, but you also have my life. It was the family of God gathering in this 
house of God together and doing what we were all made to do as siblings together, to grow young towards the Father, to magnify and lift up His name and experience His glory together. It was truly a little bit of heaven. Speaking of Matt Redman, he often says that seeing is singing. And what he means is that when we see who God really is, His glory, His majesty, His goodness— His faithfulness, His holiness, we can't help but sing. Seeing is singing. And when I wrote JD an email late that night, just thanking him for letting us step into a piece of heaven come to earth, I told him, if seeing is singing, you have quite a lot of people there in your movement who are seeing based on their singing. Just before worship, J.D. had the entire congregation stand and ready our hearts for worship by reading out loud together Psalm 84. I stood there on the stage, ready to lead the first song with my hand over my heart and saying the words of Psalm 84 with big tears in my eyes. As I had just recorded last week's episode presenting the theme, There's No Place Like Home. Psalm 84 is this beautiful declaration of saying that very thing. God, there's no place like you. There's no place like home, and we are longing to be in your house, to dwell in the home you are to us and for us. This would have been a psalm that the Israelites sang with great expectation and yearning and longing in their hearts as they actually made their journey to Jerusalem to worship at the temple to make their way to God's house. The psalm is titled, My Soul Longs for the Courts of the Lord. That word courts means an enclosure, a private house or surrounding. My ESV study Bible says, The purpose of singing this psalm is to cultivate that delight, to open the eyes and hearts of God's people to the staggering privilege of being a welcome guest in God's own house, and to write deep into their souls the conviction that wickedness offers no reward that can even remotely compare to the joy and pleasure of God's house. I'll read it over us, and as I do, listen for the three ways that we, God's people, are pronounced blessed and why. My soul longs for the courts of the Lord, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you.
You can almost see them, can't you, on this trek to Jerusalem, the anticipation building with every step as these whole families move together in this caravan. Again, I think they're longing to be both in His house, but it's also to see the faces they're going to see when they get there. They're going to gather with friends and family they meet year after year, and they'll get to sing and dance and make a joyful noise together in His house. We know from Scripture that Israelite worship was not quiet or restrained. (laughs) They were loud and they were undignified. In fact, David sang a song once that said, And I'll become even more undignified than this. A few Sunday mornings ago, we made our way to church and it was pouring rain the entire way. I did on the way think quite a bit about the mess it was going to be getting into the parking lot and getting the kids in without getting completely soaked head to toe. But yet I had this yearning in my heart to be in the presence of God with the people of God. That is set within us, like I said. My soul is longing, and I will say all week that my heart was even faint for the courts of the Lord. And as worship began, my heart and my flesh, I literally thought about it as my hands were raised completely outstretched, all of me sang for joy to the living God. I had been longing for the house of God and to be there with friends and family. Our pastor Darren got up after the worship and began to talk about the rain as we could all hear it pounding on the top of the metal roof of our church building. And he reminded us that rain is a sign of blessing and provision for God's people. And all I could think was, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. As we listened to the rain pouring down, Darren reminded us that God is present in his house and that we can actually go before him together. Yet there's something beautiful in that togetherness to also go there individually while we're together. I think that's what's powerful, isn't it? All of us gathering there, coming from different backgrounds, different seasons, different struggles, some of us on mountaintops, some of us in the deepest, darkest valley, but how beautiful this truth that we can collectively draw close to God individually. And that brought tears to my eyes. And when there's freedom and space to do that on a rainy, sunny morning, I don't know about you, but I'm all in. Darren had us identify as we stood there in the quiet with the blessing of rain pounding on the roof above us. What is it that we needed from the Father? I think it's always alarming to practice presentness together as a community and imagining that each one of us, whom he knows the number of hairs on each of our heads, could collectively go to Him with our needs and verbalize that to Him, and that He is the power not only to already know what we need, but to hear our prayer in the moment. And it just made me sob right there before the Father as I came for Him with what I needed. There's a quote from F.B. Meyer who said, The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. It was beautiful just to have permission in that moment to offer prayer to my father. Space to do that out loud in his house where we weren't rushed to the next song or the sermon, but we were all still and present together before the father to offer up specific requests before our father who loves us. I was undone. In fact, if you are in a place where you can push pause and do that, Take the opportunity now to just go before the Father with what you specifically need from Him today. 
What do you need to offer up to Him today? And ask. Do that now if you need to before we move on. You have permission. I can only imagine what the temple must have looked like. It says, His dwelling place was lovely. But I love, too, that the psalmist gives us this picture of a little sparrow also finding its home and the swallow a nest for herself that she can lay her young in. We know from other places in Scripture that if God values a tiny bird in its needs, will He not, or how much more, I should say, will He also take care of us and our needs? I love the intentionality of including this in the psalm, something seemingly insignificant like a tiny bird making a nest in the temple, but that they pointed it out, that even a swallow and a sparrow have found a place to nest and even lay their young there. It's the sense of, surely you will not be turned away if even the tiniest birds make their home here too. And when I think of this idea of a place to lay her young, I can't help but think about my children, of course how church is actually important to them. In fact, many Sundays, they hold us accountable to go and get out the door and be there. It's no stretch to say that my children have found a home in the house of God. Just the other morning, I got to go lead at a Bible study group for moms at our church called The Table. And I've gotten to lead there a few times this fall, and it's been one of my favorite things to step into. My sweet friend Shannon Scott is our children's director at our church, and she also gets to foster all these mamas. And she's had me both lead and speak for that a few times. And this psalm came to my mind yet again as I was leading them, and honestly, as I was hearing them sing It made me think about how seeing is singing again, but then I was hearing their harmonies and they sounded like birds, literally, these mama birds, and they're absolutely ministering to me with their singing. I couldn't help but just look out and almost see swallows and sparrows in their nest, some of them with their young right there in their strollers as they sang beside them near the altar. And I thought to myself, what a lovely place to dwell and blessed and lovely are those who dwell in His house. The next section of this psalm is so beautiful. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. This trek for the people of God to Jerusalem was actually required of them. We know this from Deuteronomy 16. But the sense here is even though it's a requirement, it's not this robotic action. It's a blessing. And it's almost like I could find my way home blindfolded. It says, those whose strength is in the Lord, it's like the way home is forever etched on their heart. The highway home, you just know it by heart. I saw a feature the other morning online of Carrie Underwood, who was interviewed by CBS from her hometown in Shakota, Oklahoma, which is actually not far from where I grew up. And Carrie's pregnant with her second child right now, and she was being interviewed about three miscarriages that she suffered in 2017. She was interviewed two separate times for the feature, probably on two different days, actually. And both interviews, she was very tender and even weepy about what she'd been through and obviously has a lot of hormones going on as well with being pregnant, she said. But in one of the interviews, she was talking about the tremendous sadness she went through with losing three babies. And then the other interview took place as she was walking a familiar sidewalk in her hometown. And the interviewer asked her, what is it about home? And Carrie's eyes filled with tears and she couldn't speak for several seconds. And 
she had to sort of catch her breath and sort of fan away probably a not-so-pretty-cry-pretty. <laughs> but I loved what she said, and my eyes welled up with tears along with her, and maybe yours will too. But she said, I love home because this is the place where I don't have to be on. I can just be me. And then she said, I also get the best sleep of my life when I'm just home. I've said this before, but my poor mama, she really never gets the best of me. She doesn't ever really get on Christy. (laughs) She gets a tired little girl who enters the front door of her home who just needs to sleep and rest and be. My mama actually listens to the podcast along with the rest of y'all, and a lot of times she just has to get the updates when everyone else does. And I know that she resists the urge to ask all the things when I'm home. And instead, I often put my head in her lap, and she plays with my hair, and she scratches my back, and we watch Hallmark movies in front of the fire that my dad builds for us. (laughs) I know it sounds picturesque, but their home is kind of like that for me. But she cooks all the things we love, and she's kind of just this quiet that I don't get anywhere else. And I will say, we do talk, and I make it sound like I'm in fetal position the whole time. I'm not. But we do catch up, and eventually it's usually standing over something that we're stirring in the kitchen together. But those first 24 hours, she's kind of just figured out that she just needs to offer me home, and it's a beautiful thing. If home is where we don't have to be on, think about this in reference to our home in God, the home that is our Heavenly Father. We don't have to be on in His presence. In His presence, Jesus was already on on our behalf. He went the distance for us. He showed up. His finished work is our covering. So in God's presence, we don't have to approach Him and be on. We don't have to muster up praise. We don't have to impress Him with all that we have going on. The fact that this is true, it shifts the way we even get to come before Him. Standing in the finished work of Jesus who was already on for us, we get to rest in this home for our soul that is the house of God, the presence of God. In fact, it's our resting that pleases Him, if you think about it, as He reminds us, blessed are those who find all their strength in me. In fact, in verse 7, it says, we'll go from strength to strength, each one of us who appears before God in His house. You might remember this song, Better's One Day. I mentioned Matt Redman three times in this podcast. (laughs) But I love it when songs are set to almost straight scripture. And then when you're reading along in the Bible, you begin to sing it as you read it because all those songs fill your memory. In fact, with this psalm alone, this is the third song already that's come to my memory. So that's a gift. I will never forget singing for the first time, though. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'm not going to try to sing it right now with my scratchy throat, but this is actually a big epiphany to say this. It's so counterculture for the people then and, of course, for us now to say we believe it's better to spend just one day in your house with you, God, than to spend a thousand elsewhere, even if elsewhere means the richest and finest of everything. Verse 10 goes on to say, Actually, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house, God, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
So in other words, I'd take the lowest position there is in your house to stand on the outside and hold the door and say with my heart, this is still better than being in the most inner circle of any other house. There's no place like home. We don't have a mandated journey to the temple, do we? A trek where you have to pack up everything you need for a few days along with your family and your community and all the people you love and you sing together all the while that you long in your heart to get there, to be in his house together. I kind of wish we did though. That sounds actually kind of amazing. It turns out though that we become the temple. We are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. How beautiful is that? How lovely is your dwelling place? So God is a home for us, but he's also imprinted that home on us. And we get to then represent him to the world as He dwells in us. The very last verse is the third place where we hear how the people of God are blessed. It says, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I think of Annie Rose, our youngest, sometimes at night when she knows that Nathan will be home past her bedtime, or even if he's out of town, she'll crawl in bed with me and lay on his side. And if he's coming in that night, he'll carry her to her bed after she's already out for the night. And we're in the last days of that, I'm sure. But, but she finds the place where she can feel the nearest to him. When he is here, there's just this sense that she rests differently. And she's more at ease when he's at home. It's not that she doesn't trust me or feel secure or safe when it's just me here. But it's just this whole other sense of trust that when she has her father home, it gives her this sense of all is right in the world when I'm near my father and I trust him. And of course, our hope is that we can help each one of our children transfer that trust from Nathan to the heart of the Father, to even transfer their sense of home from ours to the home God is for them and in them. My prayer for them is that they too would grow young, even as they grow older, that they'd keep their sense of childlike faith and wonder, that they'd be able to bring all of that with them as they grow older and move out underneath God's umbrella. As we sort of shift gears into our guests, I'd like to propose the idea that our sense of home postures us to respond to the world around us, just like I've proposed this idea that a strong sense of home in us helps us carry a sense of childlike faith with us as we go. Last episode, we talked about what it might look like to marry the interior and the exterior of our lives. As we remembered what a home and a refuge God is for us today, my prayer is that you've answered some of your heart's questions. Maybe you needed that moment to go to the Father specifically on some things today. You just needed permission to stop and do that and be aware and assured of His presence with you today. Maybe He spoke something else into you through His Word today that gave you a strong sense of who you are and what's true of you today. So let's take that with us now as we marry that to now some of the exterior things of our lives, like getting work done, carrying things on our plate, sometimes too much, caring for our people, whoever that might be. Maybe it's your husband and kids. If you're single, it's your roommates. It's your close friendships. Maybe someone you mentor. We all know what it's like most likely to feel stretched too thin in carrying all of those things. My guest today is the lovely Jessica Turner, who has written a book about just that. It is called Stretch Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, 
and thrive. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I've been stretched too thin more times than I wish to admit. <laughs> I think the hardest thing for me about it is sometimes when I put everything out on the table that I'm carrying, I realize it's actually all really good stuff. There isn't like this obvious stinker out on the table that you're just like, oh yeah, that's a no-brainer. This has to go. I just had this conversation this past week with my husband and my manager through tears, I might add, that I'm stretched too thin. When we evaluated everything I was carrying, we all agreed it's all such good stuff. I need to be so thankful for all of it, and I am. But the truth is, even something good has to give sometimes. I saw a friend of ours not long ago at a birthday party of a mutual friend of ours, and we were talking about our mutual friend, Bob Goff, and we were laughing at the ways that Bob will challenge you with something pretty far outside your comfort zone, and at first, you just kind of have to just laugh in his face, but then you quickly realize that he's actually dead serious. (laughs) She said, yeah, the last time he was at our house, he looked at both my husband and I, and he said, I want to challenge you guys to quit one thing. And she said they sort of just giggled like, yeah, you're so right. We totally need to do that. And Bob was like, no, I'm serious. You need to quit one thing, write it down, and go bury it in the backyard. Again, they just sort of chuckled and they were like, okay, we'll do. And they kind of said their see you laters and Bob left. And my friend said later that evening, her husband went out to check the mail And he came in and there was a tiny shovel in their mailbox and he brought it in and said, this was from Bob. Just, he wanted to remind them, you know, that it was okay to quit one thing and go bury it. (laughs) I certainly think that quitting things is serious business and we do need to get past the point of laughing about it and have an actual real conversation with the Lord about it before we bury something, obviously, especially when it's one of those good things on the table that we might need to let go of. But I always have to come to the point of asking myself the question, why am I holding on to this? Is there any fear associated with me letting go of it? On the other end of the spectrum, I feel just as passionate about finishing something well or continuing to steward what we're carrying well as I am about letting go of something that no longer needs to be carried. Trying to find that balance, though, reminds me of when my husband and my son and I tried skeet shooting when we were in Lost Valley. Balance reminds me of trying to hit a moving target. You know, you aim, you think you're ready, you say pull, and up goes the target, and you have to follow it in midair and blow it out of the sky somehow before it hits the ground. I was actually terrible at it. All I can tell you is that I may not have room to always talk about how I have balance right, but what I do try to do, even with this podcast, if you haven't noticed, all I know to do is model what I think is right. Even if it means you guys get the podcast a little later in September than I'd hoped, (laughs) all I can say is that my children are my non-negotiables and my husband, of course, and even though he certainly partners with me fully in the kids being his non-negotiables too, But I hope my randomness and offering you a podcast when I do also gives you permission to prioritize your people and the more significant things that you're carrying first. Lately, I've had to let go of the weight that I've felt on myself. I've put it on myself to build my Instagram up as if that was some sort of thing that God needed me to do in order to get the message He's put on my heart out there. (laughs) Well, I refuse to make that a weight, and I'm crazy if I think that God needs me to build my following so that He can reach people through me. These are choices that we make, and we choose what we carry. 
Anyway, some of us, we have to carry things like a full-time job. Some of you work outside the home and your family needs that. Jessica Turner, our guest today, wrote this book for women just like you who value their home first, but simply have to work outside of it for most of the day. When I talk about marrying our interior with our exterior, I don't just mean going to Target to pick up some plaid throw pillows by JoJo, although have you seen those? They're super cute. I was also talking about marrying our interior, the home God is for us and in us, with our schedule and our time management, our meal planning and making, and our relationship tending, our setup, our cleanup, our conversation around mealtime, whether that's at Chick-fil-A drive through or the farm table at home. We can take our own sense of home and security in the Father as we rise early. We get our people dressed and out the door We create a space for connection that evening, and that might just look like a clean kitchen and a candle, and that's enough. Target does have some cute ones in the dollar section right now, by the way. Speaking of Target, let's hear from Jessica, whose book was just picked up by Target this week, which is a really big deal for her. I'm celebrating with her. Enjoy this interview with Jessica Turner, and I'll talk to you soon. Well, I am so excited to get to sit with Miss Jessica Turner today. We have been friends for quite a while. Actually, we were just talking about um, kind of our first round here of living in Franklin. We always talk, we call it first round. Yeah. Uh, we lived here for <laughs> 10 years. Then before we kind of had our seven-year Atlanta stint, but um, we went to the same church. And mm-hmm. so it's fun to like reconnect. And I think I was talking to Angie Smith the other day, and she was like, yeah, I would take I would take a bullet for that for that Jessica. And she said, you guys have been, you're really tight. Really good friends. I mean, has, she's watched me give birth. So I would say (laughs) that is pretty darn tight. So she's like family to me. I don't have any family in Nashville. So the Smiths are like our family. I love that. And I'm so excited about your new book that just came out. Thank you. So exciting. And you were telling me it's like been a really good launch and Target picked it up, which is so exciting. It's been so exciting. My parents met at Target in the 70s. Really? And my dad was a store manager for Target my whole childhood. He left the company when I was in college. My mom still works for them 40 years. So like their team meeting the morning it came out, she showed everyone and the book is dedicated to her. So she cried a little bit and um, it's been really, really fun. I love that. That's amazing. Well, okay. So tell me about yourself. Just kind of give me um, just a little bit about yourself for people who may not have ever gotten to know you before. Sure. So my husband, Matthew, and I live in Nashville, and we have three kids. They are 10, 7, and 3. We have two boys and a girl. And I work full-time outside the home in corporate America. I do marketing and social media strategy, doing a lot of content development and um, assisting with video work and brand strategy and that sort of thing. And then Outside of work, I have a lifestyle blog that I've actually been doing for 12 years. So um, it started out as a small scrapbooking blog and then really grew and um, became a thing, became additional work. And so then that led to writing books. And my first book, The Fringe Hours, came out a little less than four years ago. Mm -hmm. And then my new book, Stretch Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, and Thrive, just came out in September. So it's been really fun. I've been doing a lot of speaking and traveling. So Mm -hmm. it's been a lot, a lot of work, like actual work, um, 
where I'm taking off of my day job to do this other thing, but it's been so exciting and to see how it's been encouraging other mm-hmm. moms because there really aren't a lot of great resources out there mm-hmm. for moms who work. Um, so I'm excited to be championing this message. So that's, mm. that's the long and short of it. Well, I watched a little thing on your website. Um, it was a little video of you and you were talking about kind of a little bit of the why behind the book. And I, it was a kind of a clip where you were talking about um, the kids talking about, or you saw some stuff from school yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that they had written. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, when daddy came to school for this or for that, and you got a little bit teary even on your website talking about it. Um, tell me a little bit about that and kind of just um, maybe like a little bit of more of the why behind this particular thing for, I guess, for your own your own life. Yeah, so Adeline, my little girl, she's in second grade now, and at the end of her kindergarten year, she came home with one of those packets like they do of, you know, here's a drawing of my school, here's my teachers, here's Mm -hmm. my friends, and in her little stick figure pictures, and I was flipping through, and I am a scrapbooker, so I love those types of things Mm -hmm. that really mark a year. And I turned the page, and it was one of the last pages, and it was my four favorite memories from the year. And it was four little drawings that she had done, and one was Daddy. Mm. And it was her and my husband. And I lost it. And I really tried to keep it together in front of my kids, (laughs) and I just started bawling. And my husband was like, why are you crying? And I said, because she is going to remember you at school and me in an office. Mm. And... It just broke my heart in that moment, and I felt all of this guilt of, am I doing the right thing, even though I know I'm doing the right thing. Like, I feel called to work. I think I'm pretty good at my work. I enjoy my work. Um, Our family needs for me to work. And she did not go through her kindergarten year feeling like her mom wasn't present. It was just that Matthew had been at school very recently, and so that was fresh in her five-year-old mind, you know? And I was crying, and she took my cheek, and she said, Mommy, I'm sorry, I forgot when you came to the Valentine's party. Like, she immediately (laughs) went in her Rolodex of when was Mommy there that I could have drawn that instead. And it was, it's just been a great example, I feel like, for a lot of women because we all have that thing. Yeah. That thing that makes us question, are we doing it right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think guilt points us to make a change in our life. Yeah. Where hmm, if I'm always feeling guilty about this, do I need to do something different? Mm -hmm. And it can point us to a change that we need to make. But sometimes it's just an untruth. Right. And in that situation, that's what it was. It wasn't Mm -hmm. that I was a bad mom. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that I wasn't there. It wasn't that she's going to think about kindergarten and think that her mom wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that moment, I couldn't even say that to myself. I needed Matthew to speak that into my life. Well, and it's amazing to speak that over other moms, too. It's like, if I'm feeling this, Mm -hmm. I must not be alone in those types of untruths or those types of things that lead you to go, okay, something's got to give, possibly, or maybe I need to make a change here or there. So Uh I love that. Tell me a little bit about just what that's like to go um, speak to moms and like that kind of, I know I feel the same when I lead worship. Even I did that this morning. I went to our church and I led worship for um, a mom's event that they do called the table at our Mm -hmm. church. And, and there it's, there's just something, it is noticeably different um, in the room, like because of what moms carry, all that they're carrying. I, it's like a noticeable difference when I lead them in the way that 
they lead from their lives and even just the way they were singing this morning like blew me away. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, there's just this like um, authority sort of that kind of comes with that territory of, 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 of raising a family. And what's that like for you when you get to go and share this message? I know you've been doing that a lot this week. Mm-hmm. You've been on planes and you're going yeah. and getting to speak this message. What is that like for you to get to kind of impart into women truths, you know? Right. It's been incredible. And it has been really interesting for me. You know, it's been a phased approach. So when I started out on the journey of writing the book and thinking I wanted to write about this, I surveyed 2,000 working moms. And I wanted to be sure that it wasn't just my story. Mm -hmm. It was the mom who works part-time from home when her kids are napping to the executive in corporate America, that this was going to resonate with all of them. And what I found in reading through 500 pages of responses Mm -hmm. was that it's, we're all the same. Yeah. We all have these emotions. Mm-hmm. And the same has been true when I get to interact with moms face-to-face, whether I'm at a MOPS conference or I'm at an HR executives event, which was mm-hmm. the two things I did this past weekend. Both times I had women come up to me crying yeah. that they have experienced the same thing and mm-hmm. that it meant so much to hear that they weren't alone yeah. and that they could do things maybe different that would help them feel a little less guilty. Mm-hmm. And also just to know that they're great moms. Whenever I'm asked, what is the one thing you hope women take away? It's just that they're great moms. Like we are all great moms and Mm -hmm. God created us for our kids specifically. And he knew that we were going to work Mm -hmm. and be there for our kids. And so that's been really gratifying and you know, I think about a lot, I really like data. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's because of my background in healthcare. And so data shows that Um, It isn't the quantity of time that we have with our kids. It's the quality of that time. Mm -hmm. And that's been really freeing for me to know that even though I'm at an office for the majority of the day and the majority of their waking hours when I'm with them, if I'm being really intentional at home with them, that that's what matters. That's what they're going to carry with them um, and that I'm not distracted in that time. Mm -hmm. I really love this quote you said, Avoiding being stretched too thin is not about overhauling everything. Instead, it's about recognizing what changes you can make to help you thrive on a day-to-day basis. Then making conscious choices to make those changes a reality. Um, I think I was thinking about this because I I emailed you last night and was kind of just thinking through what I wanted to talk about. And um, I thought about myself and I love that you said, um, it's really not about overhauling everything. I think my wiring, I'm I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm an individualist. Matthew's a four as well. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, artistic and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's been so many times in my life that I've... um, you know, like I need a whole new canvas, Mm -hmm. you know, for whatever this project is or whatever, um, you know, whether it's like trying to find that elusive balance or whatever it is, it's like, okay, scratch that, scratch all that. I feel like I need a new canvas for this or that. But I love that you said it's really not about overhauling everything. Sometimes it's just about recognizing the few things that need to be tweaked. So tell me a little bit about that and maybe just some of the practical things that um, you've been led to write about in this this book. 
Yeah, so the book goes through the biggest pain points that working moms have. Mm -hmm. And these are things we could rattle off ourselves. The survey backed it all up, but it was feeling stretched too thin in our emotions, like those feelings of guilt and comparison and exhaustion and frustration. It was work and boundaries with our work and figuring out how to navigate that. It was managing our homes, self-care, parenting well, and our marriages. And I think when you think about all of those things, most women, me included, can think of a part of that that I'm stretched too thin in, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. And you can want to change everything at once. And that is not helpful. Right. You can't do it. And mm-hmm. so I think if you pick just one thing, like what is one thing that I want to get a little better with that I want to start Maybe it's self-care. Maybe it is figuring out how you can work a little bit of time for yourself into Mm -hmm. your day or your week, and you start taking better care of your body, and you focus just on that. And then you add in, okay, how can I now be a little better boundaried with my time at work? And you kind of stack those things so that it doesn't feel overwhelming and that I have to do everything at once. Because I think moms like to fix things. Yeah. And so when you get the tools to fix, you're like, okay, let's do it. And then it becomes overwhelming and then you won't do any of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for myself too, it's just, um, if it doesn't work right away or you're just like, well, see now scratch that. And I get discouraged. Um, a lot of times on my podcast, I, I say things like, um, does it work? Most of the time. And that's enough for me. Like, right. Yeah. Good <laughs> enough is the new perfect, right? Like right. If, if you've got Seven out of ten, that's fine. That's yeah. sufficient. So um, I'd love for you to talk about like what looks like, what is quality time for you? If it's not quantity, like what do you feel like you walk away from a moment and you're like, oh, that was like quality time or connection with my kids. Like what does that mm-hmm. look like for you? So my kids are little still. And so like we do family movie night every Friday. And that line in the sand that we're not – watching a movie, and I've got my phone out the whole time, but that I'm really watching The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or whatever it is and just being present with them, snuggling up, eating popcorn. I really hope that with every day that my kids walk away feeling known and seen Mm -hmm. and that if I can have just a little bit of time with each one of them they'll it's so funny they will argue over who gets to snuggle next to mommy and there's like a rotation (laughs) that happens on Friday nights and I love that because I know that that is not going to last forever you can tell me you have teenagers like do they still want to snuggle up on movie nights in the same way my girls do your girls girls do do. okay (laughs) see so I only have one the boys that is fleeting so um, I, I just try to be intentional and each each child, it's a little different based on their personalities. Yeah. My little girl, Adeline, she loves to craft together. She loves to color together. We get those adult coloring books, and we'll mm-hmm. work on those together. And um, my son, Elias, just wants me to listen about Pokemon cards and <laughs> Nintendo things that I don't understand. And yeah. I just have to focus on what he's saying so that I don't, you know, kind of, what was that? You know, yeah. he just wants to talk about the things that he's interested in. Mm-hmm. And my three-year-old, it's interesting. He's the one that, you know, he's playing. And you know how toddlers are like, look at this, look at this. And so I have, on several occasions, had him call me out where he'll say, look, Mommy. I'll be like, uh-huh. He'll be like, Mommy, look at me. You know, <laughs> like he wants my attention. Yeah. And so I try to get down on his level and not have him be that 
third child that's just kind of running around, you know, yeah. but that he feels that in, in his own little way as well. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting that you said that marriage was kind of on, in that data. Like, um, mm-hmm. what does that look like for you guys as well? I know that, like, so does Matthew work from home? Yes, so okay. Matthew works from home full time. And so he actually does all the drop off and pick up, okay. which I'm, so thankful for. Mm. I can't imagine what life would look like if both of us had corporate jobs and leaving the office at five. So he does drop-off pickup. He does most of the like sports activities and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He starts dinner most nights. Uh, but for a lot of women, the survey said two-thirds felt stretched too thin in their marriages. And I think that's because mm-hmm. once you do work in the family and the homework and the extracurriculars and you clean up everything, like you're tired. Yeah, And it can be really hard to mm-hmm. invest in one another, that it has to be an intentional choice yeah. to be together, to talk about things other than kids' schedules and mm-hmm. the groceries that need to be bought and that sort of thing. And so it was really important for me to put that in there. For Matthew and I, we love to see live shows. Okay. And I think that's a great way for us to be sure that those regular date nights are happening because we buy the tickets. Yeah. You know? And yeah, then it's you, like a commitment. you have yeah. to go do it because you yeah. spend all the money. And so um, that's one thing that we'll do. We have a couple of shows that we love to watch. And so we'll make sure that kids are in bed on time and that we'll get that quality time together and we just try to pay attention to one another you know Mm -hmm. look at each other in the eye when we're talking put down our cell phones Mm -hmm. and I think technology can be such a hindrance in the relationships in our lives and that goes right into your home as well not just outside of it for sure yeah we're kind of the same way it's funny how like just a a television show that you share like affection for together. Like uh-huh. it's just funny. It sounds so trivial, trivial, but um, we have those shows too that it's like, because yep. you are intentional about like getting everyone down because they, little ones need to get to bed anyway, especially the one, the ages that y'all have. But, yeah. um, but even our kids, you know, like they kind of, kind of want to go up in their room and chill out by, right. you know, we have um, 11, 15 and 18 Um and they want to, they kind of know even when we want to go watch our show. And you can kind of actually train them like that. Right. <laughs> totally. Like, okay, we need our time. And it's good to have those things that you just share, even yeah. if they're just simple like that, just a show. And we usually like to chat about it and talk about it. But um, that's good. We'll talk a little bit about, because I know this is big. Um, I know for me too, um, I've found that. Um, comparison and and even jealousy, like mm-hmm. you were saying, um, is a thing. And of course, with social media, we're just living in a whole different um, thing that you know we didn't have to deal with in college age, and you know right. even when we were young, married, like we've been married that long, but. Um, Let's just establish that you have not aged in all oh. of the years that I've known you. Like, I don't know what you're drinking, but I want some of that kind of water because that's in- incredible so to me. Oh my goodness, thank you. Um, but yeah, like just through the years, I've I've definitely um, dealt with that. But I but now um, social media just mm-hmm. makes it you know you're literally scrolling through. Um, everyone else's stuff and what they're doing and what it look or what it looks like they're doing, and how have you been able to combat that? Like um, just knowing like this kind of is what it is, and this is how our family structured. And what's been something inside, like some kind of insight that you've yeah. taken away with that? So I have really learned through my own personal experiences of comparison and jealousy and same thing that. 
social media is a place for people to post their highlight reels, Mm -hmm. you know, and that people aren't posting pictures and posts generally of the mess. Yeah. And that mess can be literal or metaphorical. Mm -hmm. And so as long as I'm paying attention to social media in that way, I find that I don't have those emotions creep up quite as much. But there have been people in my life that I have had to unfollow. Yeah. So that I just don't see them in my feed. And some of those people, I still want to see what they're doing, but I need to go to it on my own terms when my heart is going to be okay to look at whatever that highlight Mm -hmm. reel is showing me. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage women to do that a lot. I also encourage them to delete the app Mm -hmm. and, you know, just look at it natively Mm -hmm. on their computers, Mm -hmm. because again, that can be a time where you're kind of prepared to do that. And you also aren't going to mindlessly look at Facebook as much if you take it off of your phone. Right. Or even just move it to another page so that when you pick up your phone, you're not like, oh, I'm going to click and see what's on there, even though it's just been six minutes since I last looked at it. (laughs) Um, But it is a huge one for moms. It really is. And um and we compare what they're doing, how they're parenting, how they're managing their homes, what their homes look like, and comparing it to our own homes. And, you know, I think even magazines, we look at beautiful home magazines, or we look at, you know, Magnolia and Joanna yeah. Gaines, and we see what she's doing, and we're like, this is what my home should look like. Mm. And when it doesn't, we think we're failing, but we forget that that's like the magazine photos are a wedding day for those homes, right? Like it is the most beautiful that it is ever going to look. That's something that our friend Michael Lynn said to me once and that really stuck. Like that's Mm -hmm. their wedding day. That's not the hardworking Mm -hmm. home that I have here and now. And um, that has been a really good lesson for me as well. Yeah, that's so good. I was um, meeting with a group of worship leader women um, a few weeks ago, all kind of all ages. and, And they looked at me like, they were kind of surprised I said it, but I was like, yeah, recently um, I unfollowed like 40 people. <laughs> but I said, you know what? I I love them more if I don't see yeah. every day. Like, And that's just, that's my own thing. But it's like, you know what? I actually think I'll probably appreciate them more if I don't see every single day. Like what's, what's mm-hmm. going on? And like you said, it's just... Um, the highlight reel, and it's it's a it's a good thing they were all kind of like their eyes were real wide when I was, when I was saying that. But I was saying maybe it's just seasonally, or maybe it's mm-hmm. just um, whatever that little twinge is that. And you know, it's our own thing we need to deal with. Like you said, if it's an untruth or if it's just something we need to like kind of figure out. But yeah, that's it. It is actually a helpful thing. It really is, <laughs> and you don't miss it. Yeah, you really don't. Yeah. You know, even if you then go and check in on them periodically, mm-hmm. I notice a totally different feeling in my spirit if I'm not caught off guard. There's somebody that I unfollowed for a while, and I recently followed this person back. And it's literally been like four or five days, and I'm like, I think I need to unfollow them. (laughs) Because for whatever reason, they're coming up on my feed first now, maybe because they're a new follow. And I I just feel myself bristling and thinking Mm. things I don't want to or comparing. And so Mm. I'm like, I think I probably need to unfollow them again, you know? So that's that's good to check and notice it quickly. You you do notice it mm-hmm. more quickly of, oh gosh, this is how I'm feeling. I need to change that once you start to do that very thing. Yeah. 
Do you, are you able to make your own schedule or do you kind of have with work like it's made for you? Yeah, it's made for me. So mm-hmm. I have to be to the office every day at 830 and I leave mm-hmm. at five. And then because I'm on the social media team, we have an on-call schedule. So it works out to about every four weeks. I have to monitor nights and weekends mm-hmm. for social media. So it's not too bad. We do have alternative work agreements, which let us work from home one day a week, okay. but it has to be the same day. So on Thursdays, I work from home. I start work a little earlier. I start at mm-hmm. 7. 30 instead of 8 30 and then that allows me to be present when the kids come home at 4 yeah. 30 so I love mm-hmm. that yeah so you said Matthew starts dinner do you kind of come in and like finish it together like is that not usually he's usually got it about done because I walk yeah. in the door between 5 30 and quarter to six gotcha. so usually he has it ready or almost ready and then I plate gotcha and you know he sits down and you know takes a breath then mm-hmm. and we have dinner and then Usually I do both cleanup and baths, um, but sometimes we'll, we'll split that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything that else that you just want to share about from the book that, you're, that you feel like has been like something you've carried yeah, you more know, than another? One thing I would just love to add is that so many women feel shame about their homes. Mm. And... That's kind of surprised me. Yeah. I think because when we go to somebody's house, they always have it neat, and you don't realize mm-hmm. that that's something that they maybe put a lot of time in or that's not their normal. And so when you go to ev- uh, someone's house and it's perfect, and then you go to your own house and it's not, yeah. there's a shame that comes with that. And um, I, w- I was so sad by some of the comments of women who, like, one woman said, You know, if someone comes over, I step out on the porch and shut the door because I don't want them to come in. Mm -hmm. And I think women are really missing out on friendship and hospitality because they're afraid of someone judging them for Mm -hmm. a pile of laundry being on the couch or some mail being on the table or whatever, Mm -hmm. instead of just trusting that the person who's come to their door is a friend or someone who loves them and that they're safe enough to see their mess. And so while I give tips on, you know, managing and organizing and doing some of those things, I also know in my own story that I have become okay with people seeing the imperfection of my home, of my really hardworking home. And um, it's been a blessing because I've had more community and more um, time with people. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I just, I just feel like mm-hmm. that's something that if you struggle with that, I just want women to know that they're not alone in that yeah. and that they're missing out on real relationships mm-hmm. um, because of a fear that I think is, is really unmerited because 80% of women said they struggle with it. You know? Right. That's a lot. It is. That means most of us have messy homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I or have... at least a messy room. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's usually my closet, for sure. But I mean, oh my goodness, this kitchen can look like, it pretty much every day, it looks like a bomb went off. It doesn't right now. It doesn't right now. Right now, I'm feeling shame about my kitchen. But <laughs> I mean, we do have, like our girls have to clean the kitchen every day. It's yeah. their thing. Good. And I, have, I can't wait for that day. Yes. That's coming for yes. me. You know, we do the dishwasher. That's about the extent of kitchen duty in our yeah. house right now. And it, yeah, it's like, it's a huge blessing. They know that it's like, it's just, it's their part um, but I have actually asked people to just help me fold while we're ta- while we're talking, because yeah. <laughs> I'll just like I'll purposely sometimes get the um, you know the stuff out of the dryer and throw it on that couch mm-hmm. so that number one I have to deal with it right. or we're not sitting there tonight watching anything or hanging out. Yep. But I have had people come over and just be like, 
can we just fold these while, while we talk? <laughs> and no one cares, right? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And honestly, I think we get so grateful to be able to help someone. Yeah, um, But true. we feel too scared to ask for that help, mm-hmm. um, or we don't want to let people in. Matthew traveled a couple years ago with National Geographic when they did the Story of God with Morgan Freeman, yeah. and he was gone for a whole month. And I had a friend come over, and she said, hey, I'm coming over tonight to be an extra set of hands for you, whether that's for you to go mm. and get groceries, or that's for me to fold laundry and for you to get some one-on-one time with your kids, whatever it is. And she just came and was those hands that I needed. And yeah. it ministered to me that's so awesome. much that she could see a need that I felt like I couldn't even say aloud, and she just came in and did mm. that. And so whether that to someone listening that is, they do that for somebody else or they invite that in, I hope that they'll know that that is not only okay, but I feel like we would welcome those types of friends, yeah. and, but we're too afraid to have that. Yeah, that's so good. Well, tell everyone where they can find you, especially your blog. Yeah, so my blog is themomcreative.com, and the book's website is stretchedtothinbook.com, so, okay. um, and you can find the book on both, of course. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Jessica N. Turner. And I also have a book Instagram because I love to read. And so that's book snobbery. So if you're into fiction, (laughs) book snobbery is my Instagram for that. And then on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash themomcreative. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming by. And I've loved getting to just hear about this and read the story behind it and all of that. And I'm so excited. So I hope... This is an amazing tool for moms. I saw some of the comments even of just people saying, these are not like high and lofty ideas. These are just like so practical. And and I love that. I think that's what we all need and to talk about it. And, you know, just to recognize that we're all in this together and we all have some of the same fears and hopes and all those things. So I'm really proud of you and I hope it all goes amazing. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much. 